such boundless grace the god of ages step down from glory and wear my sin and bear my shame the cross has spoken i am forgiven the king of kings calls
spoken need you like us to lift before God just encourage you to raise your hand this morning say thank you God sees those thank you let's just spend some time the one who we always need more and more of whether we acknowledge it realize it or recognize it or not let's pray together father life has a way of reminding us that we do in fact need more 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 of you but God in our humanness we tend to desire and chase after the things this world offers, thinking more of whatever that one thing might be. If we just had more of it in our lives, things would be better. Yet there's also testimonies in this place today of how fruitless that endeavor is. That there's lives where they got have spent so much time chasing after the insignificant that they can speak to the, the fruitlessness of such pursuits. But yet today, God, we have a chance to, to refocus to reprioritize, be reminded 
that you're right there waiting for us. We just let go of the things that perhaps are pulling us away from you and begin again, Lord, to chase after the things that really matter. Father, we thank you for your presence today. We thank you, God, that we do serve a, a, a living Savior who has given us a, a Holy Spirit that, that corrects and, and guides and leads. And we have a God, Father, who, who, who loves us enough to put up boundaries, to give us guardrails, so to speak, in life, to kind of keep us heading in the direction that you have for us. So we've been created in your image, intentionally so, for a purpose. God, today, we, might you continue to guide us as you continue to shape and form us. Stretch us. We're not afraid today, Lord, of conviction. Uh, of being challenged, being stretched. Pray, Father, we've come hungry. And Lord, as we have an opportunity to partake of you, we will hear you, we will respond to you. Lord, we will be obedient in whatever direction you might lead us. These names we've lifted up today, Father, they're, they're friends that we care about, family members, Lord, part of our church that are going through some challenging days. Days that might leave us questioning, that make, make us wonder. But Lord, there's also a testimony in this place of your faithfulness today, and may we lean upon those. And Lord, we've seen lifted hands this morning, Father, with, with unspoken needs, needs, Lord, that maybe we don't talk about that you are very well aware of, but you're already working. But Lord, help us to trust, to know, to continue, God, to let go of our burdens and to give them to you. We love you, Father, and we thank you for the chance to gather in your house today. Be with us as we open up your word. Go with something new. A familiar story, a story we've all known and heard before. It would help us to take away something different today. God, I pray we'd be changed for having been in your house, for having been in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, believing. Amen. We're glad you've chosen to worship with us this morning. And this past weekend or week, we've had the opportunity to recognize and to celebrate our veterans. And this is kind of the first time we've had a veteran in our home. It was kind of a, a neat reminder. Our, my six-year-old son wanted to let his brother know and wish him happy Veterans Day. Oh, that was, that's kind of neat. We haven't had that chance before. So if you're a veteran, we'd like you to stand this morning. I'd just like to take a moment and, and to thank you. If you've an opportunity to serve, thank you, gentlemen. And we're just going to thank those that have given so much for our opportunity, for the freedom we have to come and worship today. Can we just say thank you to those that have given and that have blessed us? Thank you, gentlemen. Amen. Thank you. And uh, may we not take that for granted, because the opportunity to come and worship today, whether it be here in person or online, is, um, has not come cheaply, has not come free. We thank you for your service. Um, we've been talking about blessing we're going to continue talking about blessing for these next couple of weeks because it's, it's a time for us to be reminded of, of this virtue we call gratitude. And it's, it's not something, though, that we're supposed to do just one time a year, one month a year, but it's supposed to be something that we uh, live out every day and to, to, live a, to have a spirit of gratitude, to be thankful for the things that God does for us, to be reminded of how blessed we are when we walk in a relationship with him. And we began a conversation last week called The Blessed Life, and we talk about the principles of first, giving God our first, uh, our first fruits, whether it be a tithe or an offerings, 
but responding to God and, and bringing him the best that we have, the very first that we have, as a sign not just of giving to him, but of trusting him. And we've been talking about uh, what a blessing looks like. Asking the question, what does it really mean to be blessed? We see in Psalm chapter 84, verse 12, the Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. So blessing is often a result of trusting in God. So to live a blessed life, we live a life that shows that we trust in him, that, that we fully have faith in him, that we tr- believe that he's going to do what he says he's going to do, and he's going to take care of us in the way that he says he will care for us. So this principle of first, and Pastor Robert Morris, we shared this idea last week, says everything comes into order when God is first. When God is not first, life tends to fall out of order. And so many of us could give testimony to that. We talked about out-of-order signs, signifying brokenness or unable to fulfill one's purpose or that just doesn't work. So in this effort this next month to get things back in order, we're talking about what it really means to be blessed. This idea first, consecrate to me the firstborn, every, every firstborn male. We read in Exodus chapter 13, this instruction that God gives to Moses. Moses, tell the people to give me the first. When they give me the first, I'll know that, that their, their lives are in the right order and they will be blessed. It's not that we're buying blessings from God, but we're showing God, showing God where our hearts are and what comes first in our lives. This, this word that consecrate the firstborn of every male means to gadash, to hallow, to sanctify, to set apart. It's not that we're just giving it to God, we're, we're, we're sanctifying, we're, we're setting it apart for God's purposes. So we talked about this idea first, and then when we do that, we have to incorporate mathematics. Anytime we talk about numbers and giving, there's, there's math involved. Some of us are good at math, others maybe we struggle with math. It's easy for us to look at our finances when, when that's part of the conversation. When we talk finances, though, we typically limit ourselves to addition and subtraction, the pluses and the minuses. And while God does work in the pluses and minuses of our lives, Today we're going to go a step beyond this principle of first, talk about this principle of multiplication, because we have a God who likes to multiply, where we might live in a world that lives in pluses and minuses, unless you're getting close to retirement, then you're really hoping to live in a world of multiplication and not division. Our God is a God of multiplication. We're reading out of Luke chapter 9 this morning, and there are certain passages in Scripture that we tend to go to more often, and I often I use this passage just back in August, just a few months ago. Didn't we just speak on this? We did, in a way. There's a different takeaway that God has for us this morning. And it's a familiar passage, one, one that you all know. It's a story that we've heard many times. But it's this idea of, of God multiplying in a way that has been unseen up to this point. Beginning in verse 12, we, we read uh, that Jesus, he's, he's kind of gotten away from the crowds. The crowds know where he's at. They've followed him, and they've chased him down to this hillside, and he begins to do this, this preaching and teaching. He teaches them all day long. You think I taught long. You should have been there when Jesus was doing this. He taught all day long. In verse 12 of chapter 9 of Luke, says, late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging. Some of them traveled so far, they're not getting home today. They need to find food and a place to stay, because we are in a remote place here. We're in a remote place here. So they're, they're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And they're, they're a long way from, 
from, from the nearest hotel, and, and they didn't have DoorDash back then, so there wasn't anybody bringing them food. They couldn't even order pizza. There, there was nothing for them to eat, no place for them to stay. The disciples are kind of concerned, but I don't think they're concerned for the crowd. They're concerned that they might have to do something about this, so they want this group to kind of move on. So they go to Jesus, Jesus, would you send them away? Jesus replies, you give them something to eat. This is just what they were afraid he might say. Just like Jesus to do something like this to give us more work to do. But they don't see the opportunity. And they reply, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. Verse 14, about 5,000 men were there. So we got this big crowd, a lot of people, not enough food. Five loaves, two fish. They've already kind of done a little bit of homework. Can you imagine the disciples walking through the crowd? If I were to send people to walk through the congregation today, well, what's in your purses? Well, what do you have available? Maybe some coffee. Maybe there's some chiclets or some breath mints in your purses. Maybe some gum. We wouldn't have a whole lot to share with one another. That's kind of what is happening. The disciples, they, kind of, they know Jesus pretty well at this point. They're, they just know he's going to ask them to do something ridiculous, like feed this many people. They've already kind of done their searching, and all they found was five loaves and two fish. Jesus responds the way that they... Perhaps we're afraid that he would respond. He says, you give them something to eat. They had them sit down in groups of 50. The disciples did so, and everybody sat down. And here Jesus takes this gift that's been brought to him. That This crowd is huge. It, it, scripture tells us there's 5,000 men present. And it's not that, he's not saying in Scripture that only men counted, but rather this is an indication of... of of the cultural day that, that the, the men represented the family. So as a representation of the family, what we're, what we're hearing is there's 5,000 families present. If you add spouses, if you add children, take away the, you know, whatever the average life or the average family size was then. I don't know if you had 2.5 children or 4.5 children. I don't know what their math would have been. But, but it's estimated there's a crowd of about 20,000 people present. Considering the average family size, this is very reasonable. Many theologians believe this is the largest crowd that Jesus ever ministered to at one time. There's a lot of people. About the size of Marysville, almost up to that point. So Jesus tells his disciples, feed Marysville with five loaves, two fish. I don't know about you, but depending on the fish, I don't know if I really would be interested. But I'm sure they're hungry. I'm sure they're kind of wondering the same thing. But they want to be in Jesus' presence. They don't want to leave. They want to hear. They, they, want, they want to experience the healings. They want to see the miracles. So they're sitting. They're waiting. Jesus tells his disciples who have interrupted him, you feed them. You just see them rolling their eyes. What, what, what's, what's he thinking? What's he talking about? How in the world does he expect us to, to feed them? I mean, we're tired, too. It's been a long day. We, we traveled all night. We thought we were getting some private time with Jesus, and all these people showed up. This is the day that we expected. And here's this little boy. We read about the same account in the Gospel of John, has brought his lunch. And as, can you imagine how hungry he is? Here's these, these 12 men. They've asked if they could have it. Gives it to them. They bring the loaves and the fish to Jesus. Then we begin to see something amazing. Remember last week I talked to you about my tithing story and how my wife was adamant that we were going to tithe, and, and I reluctantly agreed as a, okay, we'll tithe. 
but I'll show you here in a month we can't afford it. I can kind of imagine the disciples now doing the same thing with these bread, these loaves, and these fish. Going to Jesus, here you go, Jesus. <laughs> but there's not enough food here. It's not enough to feed the crowd. Jesus kind of smiles. <laughs> he receives it. Tells him to divide the people into groups of 50. So if you do the math, that's, that's a lot of groups of 50. And he's got them spread out. Uh, there's a lot of grass on the side of this mountain where they're at. And they're sitting down and they're kind of waiting. Now, if you've ever been to a restaurant and you have to wait for your food, well, you have to try going out well, eat with my family. And when we have to sit down with a table of 12 or whatever it might be, we have to wait a little bit longer, it seems. And you can almost see the waitresses running away because they, you know, a bunch of kids, like, oh, not in our, not, don't sit them at our table, please, sit them somewhere else. But here's this crowd sitting around, they're kind of waiting to be served. Because now they've been told to sit down, and there's this, there's this implication that, that something's coming, that, that there's food on the way. They're kind of watching the sun as it continues to set, waiting for whatever meal might be brought to them, perhaps wondering themselves, who brought enough food for all of these people? Jesus. Verse 16 we read, takes the five loaves and the two fish. Looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. He gives thanks. He, he, he lifts them up. Can you see? He's kind of standing before God, and here's this opportunity for Jesus to do something incredible. And he gives thanks. In the King James, New American Standard, the message, we, we see the word blessed. He blesses the five loaves and the two fish and breaks them. The original Greek uses the word eulageo. Eulageo means to invoke blessing. It means to consecrate, to, to set apart. It's a solemn prayer. It's asking God to, for his favor upon a thing. So here Jesus is asking God, I want your favor upon this bread, upon this fish. Then he takes it, and it's an implication that it's not just for your favor, God, but now it's of you. This is for you, it's of you. What happens next is because of you. So when we bless something, when we give it back to God, and we thank God for it, when we do it in a sense of using the word eulageo, we're saying, all right, God, whatever you do with this now is of you. I can do nothing with this. Only you can. So when we give back to God our first, in a sense we're saying, God, you do with this what only you can do. Because, Lord, we live in a world of pluses and minuses. But, God, you, your math is multiplication. He prays over this, this lunch, this meal for 20,000 people. Can, can, it's kind of absurd if you think about it. it it's kind of ridiculous. He's, he's kind of blessing this meal that you know is not going to be enough. There's an old um, Mickey Mouse cartoon where the Jack and the Beanstalk kind of telling. And he's sitting there and they've got these beans on the plate and they're cutting this bean into pieces so they can share the bean. You kind of remember that growing up as a kid. It's absurd. Kind of the same thing. All of this, this little bit of food for all of these people. Yet inside I can just see Jesus smiling. Jesus blesses it. At the same time, places his favor upon it, breaks it, and hands it back to the disciples. What did he tell the disciples? You go and feed them. Now what does he do? He puts into their hands exactly what they need to do what he's told them to do. That's how God works. When we say, God, I can't do what it is you've asked me to do. I don't have it in me. I don't have what it takes. God puts in our hands exactly what we need to accomplish the wills and purposes that he gives to us. You go he breaks these 12 loaves and these two fish and 
kind of imagine 12 plates of food, if you will. And he sends the disciples out to the groups of 50. And he puts them, he goes, I want you to say, uh, guys, this is what you're going to do. I told you to go feed them. Now I've given you the food to go do it. Can you imagine at the end of this prayer, Jesus said, amen. And in my mind, I'm picturing he says, amen. And all of a sudden this food is coming, exploding out of this, this basket. And there's just never any end to it. But what he does is he divides it into these 12 servings, if you will. And the disciples then go into the groups. And they've got this little bit. And kind of in their mind, they're thinking, well, where did this come from? Because there's still, there's already more than what there was before. And he sits down in the first group. Can you imagine being the first guys who I'm so glad I'm first? And then they, they get the basket first and they take a piece. They pass it down and the next guy takes a piece. They pass it down the next guy takes a piece. They got, they got the makings of a nice fish sandwich there. And, and they get done and there's still food in the basket. They look over to the other group of 50, and they see the same thing happening. They look behind them, the other group of 50, the same thing's going on. And all of a sudden, can you see the disciples? They're starting to get what's going on here, what's happening. They're just shocked. There has to come a point in time they get past their shock, and they start to smile. This is amazing. This is incredible. And and all of a sudden, we we, we see this small offering multiply. Read in verse 16, then he gave them... Gave them to the disciples, the disciples to distribute to the people. See, it has to be given, church, before it can be multiplied. The little boy brought his, his offering, his, his lunch to Jesus. Jesus put his favor upon it, gives it back to the disciples, so then it could be multiplied amongst the people. The disciples are serving what began with five loaves and two fish. Perhaps people in their groups were taking big chunks or maybe little bites. Maybe they were kind of... Some were being considerate. Some were just too hungry to worry about it. But in the end, there was still food left. They pass the basket around again. There's still food left. It goes to the next person, the next person. It never runs out. In the disciples' hands, this blessed and now given offering multiplies. It grows. We're reminded of two very important truths in this reality. First, we have to let it go. We let it go when we bring it to God. Then when he gives it back, we then have to share it with others. His blessings that he does give to us, this is really important, is not just for our sake. It's for the sake of the kingdom. For the sake of those who don't yet know him. It's to help others recognize who he is. It's not for our glory or benefit or to make our life better. It's for God's glory. Not only do we have to let it go, but when he gives it back to us, we then still have to let it go and give it others let's differentiate just a little bit let me clear up maybe some things that maybe are confusing to to you i've come to believe this is really important the last sunday we talked about the principles of first and referring to our tithe and what we give to god first this consecrated set apart holy gift that we we give to god it's god's and it's brought to him it's something that we bring back when we talk about multiplication we we, we see luke chapter 9 that this happy meal is given See, God blesses when we trust him, when we give to him, when we tithe, when we give offerings. But God multiplies when we give it to others. When, when our hearts desire is that others would be blessed. The story we have, and Amy and I share with you, we shared a little bit of our story last week when it comes to tithing and, and giving. About a year after we were married, we were still in Mount Vernon, and I was still working. She was almost done with school, but not, not quite. And we we found out we were expecting our first daughter. It's kind of a very exciting time, but that moment we didn't have insurance, so what we had insurance wasn't very good insurance, and we went to the doctor, and we had to, hadn't met our copay yet, so I had to write this big fat check for our copay, and 
it was about all we had in savings, and here I was uh, a little bit anxious, and I went to work the next week, and I was laid off. Ugh. That wasn't what we expected. And I was out of a job for about a month, and I had, we had people in our lives that were helping us, to, and I was getting some odd jobs. I remember painting, painting the barn roof of our landlord, and never want to have to do that again. But um, I'm thankful that he gave me that opportunity, and, and we were doing odd jobs. Amy had a teacher. I was mowing her grass and doing some. I had, she, she wanted a groundhog removed from her property, and um, I, have, I have experience removing groundhogs from people's yards. Um, not doing that anymore, so if you need that help, call someone else. But, um, so I, but we had people in our lives that were just helping us meet our needs. It was humbling. It was a hard time. And those of you who have been there, you understand uh, we had to go and, and apply for uh, Medicaid. That was humbling. Uh, but we, we did it. And we were getting a little antsy after about a month of being unemployed, and, and there wasn't a lot of options for us, and we were getting a little bit desperate, to be honest. Now, let me go back a little bit. Uh, about three months earlier, I had interviewed for a job at the company that I was working for. And to make uh, a long story even longer, um, one day at lunch, I was on my way to the cafeteria in the, at the plant where we worked, and from a distance, I, I saw someone that looked familiar to me and looked like a manager that I'd had at a plant that I'd worked at as a chemist while in college in a different state, at a different company. So, boy, that really looks like Michelle, who was the name of my old manager. And as I got closer, I realized it was her. So I called out her name, and she turned around, and she looked at me and said, Brian, what are you doing here? So I was going to ask you the same thing, and she had, had moved to, to Columbus and was working at, at, at the plant where I was working at in a different facility, but she was on the same site doing some, some meetings that day. We had a short conversation in the hallway, and she said, well, would you ever be interested in coming to work for me down at the other facility? I said, I would really would like that. A month later, an opportunity came up for an interview, and I sent in my resume, and I got home that evening, and she even called and asked if I had applied for, for this job that was posted in her division, and showed up for this interview, and you ever go to an interview and you feel like you just nailed it? That was that day. I just, I, I nailed it. This job was mine until it wasn't. And the company announced a hiring freeze. Then they announced layoffs, headcount reduction. And here I was without a job for about a month. We were getting kind of desperate. I, I was getting ready to actually move to Cincinnati where Amy's parents lived at the time and was going to get a job in Cincinnati and he was going to finish school in Mount Vernon. That was not what we wanted to do. We weren't sure what was God was doing. And we went to church that Sunday night and they passed the offering plates. And we'd already tithed, even on our unemployment and what little we had. And I got my wallet out. I'm not sure why I got my wallet out. I knew there wasn't anything in it. Actually, there was a dollar. There's one dollar in my wallet. And I knew in that moment there was a dollar four left in the checkbook. Now, yes, there was change in the couch, or there you know, there's quarters in the washing machine. It was, there was a little bit more money here and there. But you understand what I'm talking about. For all realistic purposes, that dollar in my wallet represented all we had. We'd already given. I remember looking at Amy, we just kind of smiled. <laughs> well, why not? <laughs> and we gave God our dollar. What good was it going to do us? Well, we gave it to him. That evening, uh, we went out for pizza with some friends, and it was pretty humbling. They had to buy us pizza. I didn't like that. I didn't like how it felt. 
Hopefully we had friends that cared about us and we got home a little bit late. I remember it was about 8.15. I remember that because at about 8 o'clock there was a message on our voicemail machine. We actually had tapes. Anybody remember those? You had tapes? The red light was blinking on the machine. You have messages. And it was a, the manager of the plant that I'd worked at, that I interviewed at three months prior, called me on a Sunday evening, not too long after we'd given our last dollar, saying, I would like to talk with you about a physician. While the company's reducing headcount, the plant is still producing product, and our department's the only one in the company that's allowed to hire. Remember, wow, Lord. Called back the next morning and was offered a job, full benefits, 40% pay increase. Talked about my wife being pregnant, says, oh, don't worry, we don't have any pre-existing conditions clauses. I paid $10 at our next doctor's appointment, that was it. I remember thinking, Lord, that's a pretty good return on my $1 investment. That's God multiplying. I could have done, I could have, well, I don't know what we could have, we, maybe at that point we could have gotten two hamburgers for a dollar. You can't do that anymore. But Lord, I gave it to him. And he did so much more with it than I could ever do on myself. So where does the giving back to others come into play? Well, this time we had gotten involved in a van ministry at the church we were attending, and we met these kids. And you'll hear more about this family because they're pretty profound in our life and our ministry. And I won't give you all the details, but we just fell in love with them, and we got to minister to them on Wednesday nights, and they came from a pretty rough family, and they needed shoes. Their shoes had holes in them, and it was pretty, pretty obvious to us. And one of the first things we wanted to do was to buy these kids shoes for Christmas. All of this happened in the fall, and we were kind of getting prepared, and we knew that there were three kids that we were ministering to on Wednesday nights. We went and told the outreach director what we wanted to do. We wanted to make it anonymous. We wanted to buy, three, we wanted to buy shoes for this family. Says, well, you want to buy shoes for all of them? Says, well, yeah, yeah, we want to buy shoes for all the kids. Says, you know, there's six families, six kids, you know. Nobody knew there were six. Says, well, we thought we were buying three. But we're like, okay, we, we can, we'll buy six. God just did something amazing in our lives. We'll do something for them. And we went out and we bought shoes for six kids in this family. Yet we still weren't lacking. God still kept giving. God still kept multiplying even after we started giving it away. And I think and that's this other principle we need to learn. It's not just about bringing God our first. It's about then watching God multiply and continuing to bring, continuing to let go, to continue to recognize that it's for his glory, it's for his purposes. And that, that's, that's God's story that we get to be a part of. And that, that's our testimony, and I'm thankful for it. Because I don't have to worry that God's not going to provide. He does. He always has. Not always in the ways that maybe I think he will or in the timing, but he's always done it. I don't always get the things that I want, but I always have what I need. Big difference there. We give to God first and are obedient to him. He multiplies. Now, we, we attend a very generous and giving church, and here in the next couple of weeks, you're going to see Angel Tree Ministries with a, a, a display out front where we have an opportunity to buy gifts for children whose parents are incarcerated. This is a season of, of giving. We're going to have to be collecting food for blessings in a backpack. You just heard about that. There's other opportunities that we're going to have throughout the month for families that are in need, and we have people over the years that have offered to, if you have someone who has a need, let us know, and we want to collect those names and so we can meet the need that God brings to us. 
is a season for us to be a blessing to others, to continue not just to, to give our first, but to give back so that God can multiply. One of the phenomena we experienced in my last church is the more we gave away, the more God seemed to give us. Funny how that works. The more we give, God then pours back. Let's get back to the crowd real quick. Let's see how this comes, what this looks like in God's word. Verse 17, chapter 9. Baskets have been passed. They've all kind of grabbed their fill. And we read that they all ate and were satisfied. They all ate. All 20,000 plus have eaten and are satisfied. It's a Greek word, satisfied. Chotazo means to fatten, to gorge. They haven't just eaten. They have really eaten. They kind of loosen the belt, kind of eaten. They, they're, they're stuffed, so to speak. They're, they're, they're so full, it's time to go re- lay down in the recliner and take a nap, kind of full. And this is what I think's happened. This was food that's been blessed by Jesus, favored by Jesus. <laughs> Maybe we could say flavored by Jesus. You thought manna tasted good. This has to be pretty similar. I think food that Jesus is touching at this moment has his favor upon it probably tastes pretty good. There's a restaurant in West Virginia, the, a Greek restaurant uh, called Yanni's. And my, my dad would, went, went there, we went there for lunch one day, and he said that was the best fish sandwich he'd ever had. That's, that's pretty high praise for my dad because he likes seafood. And so while, I'm, I'm, while I think it was a pretty good fish sandwich, I'm, I'm pretty confident it didn't taste as good as what the crowds ate that day. Touched by Jesus, multiplied, favored, flavored, blessed. Twelve baskets full were left over. Jesus took this kid's meal, fed the community the size of Marysville to teach his 12 disciples a lesson. Envision, envision each one of the disciples carrying a basket, speechless, bewildered, yet now understanding what a simple, what simple, complete, and honest gifts when brought to Jesus, what they become in his hands. This church is multiplication. How many of us today are comfortable living with addition and subtraction? How many of us struggle living in a life of addition and subtraction? Where there's more subtraction than there is addition. We can't figure out why, why things aren't meshing up, why life isn't kind of working out the way that we thought. Because things are out of order. Because life's kind of broken. It's not working the way that it should be because it's not fulfilling the purpose which God has for it. These two principles come together, work together in a pretty profound way. And it doesn't just speak to our area of finances, but to all areas of our lives. You can apply it to your talents, to your abilities, to your jobs, to your children, to your marriages. It works out the same. Give to God first and watch him multiply. So we end with how we began. What does a blessed life look like? What does it look like to trust him? What is it God is asking you to give or to be or to do or to let go of? As we sang earlier, we want more and more and more and more of you. For more of him to fit, there's got to be less of us. What is in our lives that's in the way? How is he this morning challenging you to trust in him? The Lord, blessed is the man who trusts in you. What does trust look like? What will it look like for you tomorrow? What might you need to go home today to change? 
I, I had a mentor in my life who says every message should have a response. Sometimes the response is seen at the close of a service. Sometimes the response is seen when you leave this place. How are you going to respond to what God is challenging you to do right now? The reality is, we need to quit playing games. We need to quit manipulating and justifying, pretending, or quit living life in the pluses and the minuses. Because God has a, a life of multiplication that he wants to show us. Perhaps we just need to get out of the way. What a great season for us to reflect and to think about, to ask tough questions, to consider what this might look like. One last story before we leave. 1 Kings chapter 17. You don't have to turn there. Prophet Elijah's been hiding, and the Lord leads him out, and he goes to visit a widow, widow of Zarephath. And he's hungry too. And he calls out to this widow, hey, will you give me something to drink? And as she was going to get it, he called out, and bring me a piece of bread, just a piece of bread. Of course, we know the story. She goes on to complain about how she has nothing left. There's been a famine. She has just done just enough flour and oil to make a loaf for her son to eat, her and her son to eat, and then they're going to die. But she does it. And we see multiplication in her life. This jar of flour, this oil doesn't run out until the rains come how God works. He doesn't just replace the flour and the oil. He multiplies it. Just bring it, God says. Watch what I do with it. Just bring it. Stand with me, please. Let me pray for you today. And I, you know, last week I heard some pretty neat stories. I heard your testimonies. They were so encouraging and a blessing to me. But I also heard after the fact there were some who were responding real time, even in our messages, and I was pretty humbled by that. Giving's not an easy thing to talk about. I want to reiterate, you're faithful, you're good. The church is in a good place. We don't ask for giving because we need it. Don't get me wrong. I, I talk about this because I think you need it. We're missing out. Maybe you're not seeing God work in ways that he wants to show you. Because you're holding too tightly to things that don't matter. What might you need to let go of today? What's in the way of you trusting in him? What's causing you to not recognize his blessing? Don't hold too tight. Trust him. Father, thank you. I wonder how many of us, Lord, are like the widow. We, we hold on to what little bit's left, and then beyond that, we don't have a whole lot of hope. Lord, when we give it to you, when we bring it to you, you have a way of multiplying in ways that we will never fully understand. Lord, I'm thankful for that. Because when we fully understand, I think it's hard to really trust. Trust implies there's this kind of blind following. Because we know you. We know you're going to follow through. We know you're, you're going to show up. We know you're going to be faithful. You've proven that in immunize lives time and time and time again. I love telling the story. Lord, it's your story. Father, I can't help but think that maybe there's some lives here today that are a little bit out of order. That haven't quite gotten things in the right place. 
They're wondering where you're at. They're wondering why things are, are the way they are. They're wondering why things aren't working out better. And then it's not to imply that we buy favor or that by giving, we naturally, everything works out just fine, everything's all better. But Lord, when we do respond by giving you our first, we then allow ourselves to be in a position where we can experience multiplication, where we can see you at work, where we can recognize your presence. Maybe that in itself is blessing enough. Everything else is just gravy. I pray, Lord, in the season that we're entering, we talk about being thankful by having a heart of gratitude. Lord, it just wouldn't be for one month out of the year. Lord, it'd be something we would practice every day. Lord, you would show us every day how faithful you are. Lord, how you continue to just show up. Lord, how you are a God of multiplication. We didn't even get in the conversation of exponential growth. <laughs> That's when things really get fun. This God math, Lord, sometimes hard to figure out. Sometimes hard to take that first step. For the ones today that are just having that conversation that I can't afford to do this. Pray the testimony of those who understand now that you can't afford not to would resonate and speak to them. And Lord, in this they would find a deeper, more fulfilling relationship with you. We're always close. Help us hear your voice. Help us, God, to trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And God bless you. Go and be a blessing. Give it away. Watch what God does.